Hello and welcome to Various Things. My name is Gary Lama. Today's episode is with Boston punk rocker and recovery worker Craig Lewis. Craig grew up in the punk scene in Boston and in his early teens began being diagnosed with various mental health disorders and put on drugs to treat them. But it wasn't until much later in life that Craig got with a good therapist and realized he had none of them. That in fact much of the anguish he was suffering from was from the treatment itself and the alienation that comes with being told by a professional that you have a mental illness. Since then, Craig has made it his mission to help others that may be in a similar position. He is a certified peer specialist, but he prefers the term recovery worker. And he has set out around the country sharing his story and his talk, Punk Rock, Mental Illness, and Recovery, which you can find at punksandrecovery.com. And by authoring and self-publishing his coping skills workbook, Better Days, a mental health recovery workbook, available at betterdaysrecovery.com. It was a pleasure to talk with Craig and find out more about his journey from this misdiagnosis to recovery. Due to length, this episode has been broken up into five parts. This is part one. Enjoy. What was it for you that um, that made you realize that you needed to address something in your life? Like when you started this recovery process, what what tipped you off to 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 um, realizing that there was something wrong? Well. I spent my whole life, you know, being told there was something wrong with me, and I never really learned how to take care of my needs. And I spent my teenage years in psychiatric hospitals and group homes. I lived in three different group homes when I was a teenager. So I was already really, you know, I was really brainwashed to believe that there was something very wrong with me, and that I had real major serious problems, and that that was what my life was going to be. So I spent, you know, my whole, you know, 1990s through the mid early 2000s, you know, chronically, chronically out of control. And I had been given many diagnoses that I now know I did not have and put on very heavy psychotropic medication that was extremely damaging and really kept me from ever getting a handle on myself because the medication destabilized my mental health so much. So I ended up developing a, a pretty brutal trauma history as a result of, of what, what was really done to me. And, 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 and this whole time I'm part of the punk scene, which is like my only, only safe place for me to be. And in the, uh, early 2000s, I uh, really hit rock bottom, and uh, I had, had some, some experiences where I felt like I was being forced out of punk rock because of a lot of BS that wasn't true, and I, I realized that the people that I thought were my friends were not really my friends. They were just, you know, as it happened so many times, benefiting from the fact that I was very active and I had a lot of connections in the punk scene as far as booking shows and, and, and stuff like that in a city like Boston it is very competitive mm-hmm. and I, I got I got used as a step stool by somebody that I, I really trusted and cared for and um, ultimately that resulted in me just really being destroyed as a person really having the only thing that I really felt was mine, which is punk rock, really taken from me, mm-hmm. and I hit rock bottom very publicly, and I, uh, everyone knew, and everyone said I was crazy, and I was very much living a 
miserable existence. And I had decided that I was either going to take my own life or I was going to try one last time to make things better. And I moved to a different part of Boston and I took the step to find a social worker, which I looked up in the phone book. And I began meeting with her the next week and I met with her religiously for many years. And she uh, validated my experience and legitimized what I was going through. And she told me that uh, if I would allow her to, she could help me learn coping skills with this to manage the struggles that I, I was dealing with. So over the course of that process, um, I didn't know what recovery was at that point. I just learned, I didn't know the word recovery was a, a, a meant something mm-hmm. meant to mental health. And uh, several months after I started therapy, um, and just keep in mind, I had the same psychiatrist since 1991, and I was on medication after medication that never did a damn thing to make me better. Right. I was always really out of control and sick. Now I know it's because I was on the medication and the wow. trauma that I experienced as a result. Um, I, I was in therapy for six months, and I you know, was in my early 30s, and I couldn't hold a job. I was really still indigent. And I was able to um, find out about a... Uh, publicly funded program uh, to teach people with mental illness how to be counselors. And I, of course, thought that was an absurd thing. And I, when I called up and I got information, I realized that it was real. And I went through the process of going to the open house and applying and interviewing for the program, and I got accepted. So they must have felt that I was ready to do this work because they accepted me. And I dived into this college-accredited recovery program and uh, I thrived even though my life was in absolute chaos. I experienced tremendous amounts of, emo- of, a, of um, economic abuse by my peers and my family mm-hmm. and roommates and yet I, 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 I got through it and uh, I was then certified as a peer specialist in the state of Massachusetts and then I started getting jobs and the first few jobs I had weren't really too great but I have a job now that I love and I realized that that the moment I found out that people like me can have quality lives was the moment I realized that I had to do this for the rest of my life and that I was going to do this for the rest of my life. And as I became more informed about recovery and what people go through and that hearing my story was beneficial to other people, Mm. because it's kind of an unusual story and really improbable and, and outrageous in many ways, um, I realized that sharing this message with other people was just as important as, you know, well, I should say it heals me to talk about it mm-hmm. and other people are healing, healing, healing as well, hearing it. So I've been able to really make that into something of value and um, I've embraced it and I've, I've been able to have that positive inspirational empowering impact on other people. And, you know, I really, truly believe that I survived all that I did for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Uh, but I do believe that, you know, I, I, I survived this all for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced many things in my life where I should have either been dead or in jail. So the fact that I'm sitting here today um, tells me that I, I survived what I survived for a reason. And that I would, I refuse to let my suffering be wasted. 
what do you so, so essentially you went from a place that um you didn't really have much value in your life would that be would that be fair to say no value and meaning mm. except for being part of the punk scene mm. and um really no control over my life completely powerless and helpless and now you're in a place where you have a lot of value and a lot of control uh life's hard man uh, <laughs> you know it's very it's very hard and i struggle and i deal with a lot of unfair stuff that my peers don't have to deal with right but, um i've embraced it to the best of my ability and i work my butt off to, to live a life of quality and to um put something else in the world that's healthy and, and, and good so I, I do have a lot of meaning and value. And I just got back from California. I spoke seven times in six days. Mm-hmm. And I met incredible people, incredible people every day and had these conversations and um, hugged people and, 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 you know, made these connections. And I received dozens of messages thanking me for what I'm doing and that I made a difference in their lives and that I'm helping people and thank you, thank you, thank you. So I definitely find a way to have that meaning and purpose. And I am absolutely grateful for that. Did you did you find out that there was um, any kind of condition you actually were dealing with? Because like, what you've explained to me so far is you were being misdiagnosed. You're having all these issues. Yeah. Then you're on this medication, which is making things 10,000 times worse, it seems. Um, yeah. But then you started therapy. So did you ever find out, like, if there was an issue that you were having that was causing these other things to be misdiagnosed and um, that you were able to deal with? I know that when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I have all my documents from the Department of Mental Health from when I was a kid. Yeah. And it says that I was a regular kid without really any problems. And I was forced into the psychiatric system by my family, who I've now realized does have a lot of problems. And I was put through the system and I was, like, given diagnoses that were really, like, not true and not, re- not, 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 uh, not, um, did not represent me. And I was actually forced to be sick. So by being forced to be sick and living in group homes and being forced to be indigent because of the medication I was on that made me sick, yeah. I experienced, I developed an incredible amount of trauma. I was, um, oh, wow. was post-traumatic stress disorder. So I did, expand, I did get tested for learning disabilities mm. several years ago, and um, they said I had ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, yeah. but the doctors at the time never changed their medication. And it was only in 2011 when I really had a major, major crisis and had a, finally had a new, a new psychiatrist um, where they realized that they said to me that I don't think you have bipolar disorder. I think you have trauma. And since you've been diagnosed with ADHD, we think if you go off the medication for bipolar, so you're going to feel a lot better. And of course, I said that's ridiculous. Of course, I am a very sick, mentally ill person. But then I went off the medication for bipolar disorder, and in the course of like two weeks, my entire life and how I knew myself in this world was absolutely different. This concludes part one of our five-part interview with Craig. All of our episodes are available at variousthings.org. This interview was recorded on March 28, 2014.
Welcome to Various Things. Where we left off in part one, Craig had just told us about finding out that the various mental health diagnoses he had received over his life and the assorted medications he had been prescribed were the result of misdiagnosis. And now in part two, he describes having to cope with the results of that trauma. Let's listen. I spent 25 years on medications for conditions, very serious conditions and very heavy medications for, for uh, conditions I never had. And now that I've really done all my research and I've really looked into it, um, it's really that my family was really unhealthy and basically had me made sick to um, protect them from the fact that they were really sick. So the and, thing uh, that, that made this happen was the treatment itself. There was nothing outside of a little bit of ADHD. You, you were fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was being forced into this, this life of hell. You That's, know, I come from a, a middle, upper, I don't want to say upper class, I man. I don't identify as that. Yeah. I mean, I, I identify as like coming from the gutter. Like, I feel like my life's been like lowest to the low. I don't, I don't relate with money. I don't relate with privilege. I don't relate with nice things. I relate to like the people who struggle on the street. And like, when I see those people, those are my people. I'm like, I am much more like them than I am like anyone who I grew up with who grew up in these like financially comfortable families with everything provided and then having nice stuff. I didn't have that. Um, I did when I was a kid, but it all went away when I was hospitalized and put away. And what age so, was that? Was that d during your teens or? 14. 14? I was 14. So, um, yeah, so I was forced, I was forced to be sick. I was, I was a kid with a lot of potential and promise who was, prevented from blossoming and by preventing me to blossom into a creative and articulate and successful teenager that I should have been, I was forced to just be very sick by the medication and by being put in situations that were very unnatural and um, very ultimately extremely damaging to me. So, yeah, um, I spent 25 years on these medications for conditions they didn't have and it did an incredible amount of damage. Um, I mean, I'm absolutely damaged to this day. I mean, I'm never going to be 100% like, I don't know what the right word is, but right. you know, I'm, I, I, deal, I deal with this trauma every single day. Like, I'm absolutely affected by it. I work really hard with my coping skills to manage it. I have a really interesting life where, like, on one hand, I'm this respected mental health counselor, and that's great. And on some days, I'm just ready to, you know, not be here. So yeah. I have to just, you know, take it one day, one minute, one hour, one second at a time and just keep on keeping on. So now you're working as a therapist. And I'm working as a, a peer counselor. Okay, peer counselor. Um, so how do you feel about the mental health industry as a whole? Because it sounds like, on the one hand, it created your problems. But on the other hand, you were able to get a good therapist and realize that. So that's kind of got to be like a. I mean, how do how do you how do you feel about that industry? It's very confusing and complicated. Yeah. Um, I am able to, at my job, help people just like me, mm -hmm. so they don't have to suffer as much as they as I have, and for me that is extremely liberating empowering and it gives me meaning and purpose that to a degree that it's really hard to 
put a, a value on. Mm-hmm. So I'm very aware that there are major problems and the psychiatric industry and the pharmaceutical industry and that I've been extremely victimized by it mm-hmm. and suffered unconscionable things as a result of it. Um, and at the same time, without it all happening, I wouldn't be who I am today. And yeah. I don't regret who I am. And I've embraced my experiences as terrible as some of them may have been. Mm-hmm. And I, I've turned it into helping others suffer less and find ways to make their lives better. So, it, you know, we all know the system is, is screwed up. Yeah. And I have a, a role where I can, you know, speak up on behalf of people who don't know how to speak up for themselves and can make things happen for people who really deserve it just like I did. And nobody did that for me. I was left to rock for my life. And I will just not, I will not stand back and not to try to help someone else suffer less. Are you finding more people that, um, like with these people, that you're, uh, you're peer counseling now. Are you finding a lot of people that have been in the same boat as, in terms of like misdiagnosis and this kind of thing? Um, there are many people out there with my, with a similar experience of, of mine. Yeah. Um, I will say that I don't really care about the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about the history of what's been documented about these people's behavior. Right. What I know is that when they're sitting with me in my office that they've experienced horrible things that have impacted their lives mm-hmm. and that the trauma they've experienced mm-hmm. is probably just as bad as anything else yeah. in any condition and that um, that uh, these people, they may have some real you know, difficulties in with their mental health, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they've all been damaged by the system. And I don't always share my story. I'm, 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 I'm expected to share my personal story of the benefits of the person I'm speaking with, mm-hmm. but I don't always share everything. Mm-hmm. However, whenever it's going to be helpful, I try to make a decision to share with people I'm working with so that they, have an idea of where I come from, and by doing that, it usually makes a big difference for them, right. knowing that I'm legitimate and that I, I get it, that I really get it. Um, so I don't put much value on the diagnosis and the history. Mm-hmm. I see each person uh, as a person who's experienced things in their lives that have been very traumatizing, mm-hmm. and I know that all people have experienced trauma, and that that's all I know about anyone in the world, really, that they've gone through stuff that's really fucked them up. And however they behave or however they act or deal with things or interact or engage, it's, it's, they've had stuff happen that I don't know about. So I just don't, I don't just go ahead and like, say that person has bipolar. So I say they've had experiences that have contributed to how they are today. And I want to help them learn how to manage those experiences, how they manage them so they're less disruptive in their life going forward. So you, you talk a lot about, it, it seems that the main thing, whether they have uh, 
some diagnosis or, or something else, seems the main thing is the focus on trauma here. And so is that where your your uh, coping skills uh, workbook comes in and that kind of deal? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, trauma comes, it gets in the way of everything. And when we're having a reaction to something, say, for example, and I can, I can totally, like, relate to this because it happened to me. Okay. You know, I'm on the bus and some guy was being a jerk. And, you know, I feel myself, like, want to explode. But I know if I do, I'm going to bring myself way down and I'm going to struggle and maybe get arrested, maybe get in the fight. And I have to, you know, say to myself, well, let's not respond to this guy because if I do, you know, the damage to my life is going to be huge. Yeah. And even though I'm right or I think I'm right, the damage to my life is going to be massive. How do I get through this moment so that I don't have to have prolonged suffering? How do I get through this moment so I can transcend it and get on with my day doing the things that I do, I need to do to be happy, healthy, and well. And once I learned how to do that, the result has been much more peace and stability and happiness and wellness and less disruption. It, it's choosing oh, essentially yeah, a positive outlook. See, oh, I'd say even choosing to be realistic. That the yeah. reality is, is if I let myself get into some bullshit, then I'm going to suffer. Yeah. And, and we can't, we don't know how it's going to play out. It could be horrible for us. But if we choose in the moment to manage and use coping skills to manage what's happening in the moment, so it doesn't become what it doesn't need to become, because if it does become that, the consequences could be terrible, not only to your safety, but to your own mental health, my own mental health, and how I'm functioning. Mm. So I must use these coping skills in the moment so that I can get through that moment. So that might mean putting my sunglasses on and earplugs in. Mm. It might mean getting off the bus. It might mean... You know, texting somebody to get support, and, and, and it might mean doing meditation or counting to 100 so I get off the bus or just do whatever I have to do to not let myself get caught up. Because when I get caught up in that stuff, it destroys me. And how good I'm doing, it destroys me. And I'm saying, let's, let's, let's focus on what's causing the issue for me or that person and address it so we can deal with it, get through it, and get on with our day with the least amount of disruption possible. And once we're able to get through that moment without disrupting our lives, then yeah. doing that on a regular basis, we then are just much happier and healthier, and life's much less difficult. And I see, I know you too, we see people all the time, you know, that's what I'm talking about. They get into it, and then they're, they're brought down, all this shit happens, it's, it's unnecessary. And that concludes part two of our five-part interview with Craig. All of our episodes are available at variousthings.org. This interview is recorded on March 28, 2014. Various Things, part three of our five-part interview with Craig Lewis. Enjoy.
can you imagine that in high school they taught coping skills class? Oh, wow. Like a communication class? I mean, people suffer for no reason. And we're, 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 we're nurtured to be these, uh, we're nurtured to just act and, 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 and without thinking. And, um, you know, we have to think about what's going on because people like us who struggle or have, like, a, a sensitivity to overreacting and or having an, an exaggerated reaction, we must be very mindful of the fact that even if we're right, getting into certain conflicts and, and interactions will only hurt us. And how can we get through those moments and get on with our days so our days aren't damaged? And that is what I am all about. Well, you know, it, when I was younger, I I was kind of brought up into a world of um, violence. And uh, so for me, it was, I would always get into these situations where um, I would find myself essentially faced with making a violent decision. Mm. And I didn't see it as a decision. I see it. I saw it as an inherent temper in me. I saw it as a flaw in me. So I never really realized that I was making a choice to be violent. You see what I'm saying? Like when I, when a thing would happen, I wasn't cognizant that like you have the choice to react violently to this or not. And, um, it wasn't until I was able to realize that I did have that choice that I could start exercising that choice. And I wonder if some of this from your background with, with, you know, having these diagnoses put on top of you and, and having these medications put on to further worsen the situation. If, if maybe that's why it didn't happen earlier is because you were being told you were screwed up. So you didn't feel like you had that choice. You felt yeah, like you I, were screwed up, you know, and I, I yeah, think that's I a, very screwed up. I, I think that's a thing that people really get into, um, whether it, with any kind of issue that they've that they have, um, is that if they it really comes down to what they expect of themselves in terms of personal power, and if they're giving more power to that diagnosis, if they're giving more power to that. Um, to that to that statement by someone that that they're that they themselves are a um, bad human being or something like this that it kind of erodes the ability of that person to 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 realize that they do have a choice. I, I think being able to make a decision like that, like I'm not going to react this way, I think it really comes like with an ability. Like you have to have this ability to kind of trust yourself and trust your judgment. And um, when you're in a situation where you've been told that you're wrong and bad, you know you're probably not going to trust yourself that much. Right. And I've been, I've been, I mean, I was, I was, I was forced fed my, most of my life that I was mentally ill and that that this is how my life was going to be, and that's really it. I was never told up until I found out for myself that. I could learn how to manage this stuff. So it's been a long process learning how to get a handle on things. Mm. It didn't happen overnight. And, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, try to make things better and get really 
beaten down because it's not happening quickly enough. Mm. And the reality is it's a slow process. And the reality is, is that we really learn from making mistakes. Mm. And my, my, my hope is that um, the Better Days Workbook and, you know, being able to communicate with people about my experience is that uh, we can maximize the lesson that we learn from our mistakes so that we can learn how to do things for ourselves and deal with things in a way that will be less damaging to us. Yeah. And like I said, unfortunately, we only, we learn the hard way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm actually okay with that. And I, you know, people don't want to, you know, as a counselor, people don't want to hear you say, you're suffering, you're struggling, you're in hell, and this is a good thing. And if right. you allow yourself, if you, if you choose right now to learn from this and say, this is what the better day's work is all about too. What happened here that didn't work? And why, what resulted in you feeling like the way you do right now? And what do you think you can do? What would you think, what would you like to do to have a better result next time something like that happens? How would you do it? And what would, what would, what would it look like to you to have done things in a different way? So it's all about having people figure out for themselves, well, that didn't work and that sucked, but I really want it to be this way. Mm. I prefer to, to come out with a different result and then asking people, how do you want to make that happen? Like, based on what you know about you and your experiences, what what do you think you can do in the future to be able to make things, you know, make the result much better for you and less disruptive and damaging to your life? And when people are able to figure that stuff out and, like, step back and have that introspective thought process go on, mm. and then when they're in that situation where they have to make that decision, like, I'm hoping that, you know, they'll have a five-second window where they'll say, well, I could overreact right now and punch this guy or do whatever, or... I could say, well, the last time I overreacted to this thing, I ended up in jail or losing my job or getting beaten up. What can I do right now to make this a less disruptive situation in my life? And when we, when we do the work and we prepare how we're going to do things and have an idea of what we know works, we know doesn't work, it ends up with us being, with suffering and what we'd like to see happen, a, a newer, better result. We're able to stop for those five seconds and say, before I react, what can I do here? to choose to see my future um, come into uh, fruition in a way that will be more beneficial to me. And when people do that, that's when you really begin to see that we have control over what we choose, what we do, and how we do it. And what happens, life starts to get better from that point on. Yeah, I mean, just the just the stopping and questioning it rather than acting on the impulsive behavior. I mean, that is the big step towards making good choices when you're actually like That's stepping what out of it. all about. Yeah. yeah. Like when you're actually stepping out of it and saying, okay, <laughs> let's look at this for a second. It was hard for me dealing with violence. I, I think right. probably because I had to hit, a, I hit a rock bottom thing, kind of my, my rock bottom with it. And it, I had no other choice. I was kind of in the same situation with you as, as you, you know, like it's either, uh, end your life or change, you know? And, um, but I feel bad for these, these folks that haven't hit that part yet. Cause while that part is horrible, I mean, it's a horrible thing to go through. Um, it, it does put things in perspective and it will change you for the rest of your life. You know? Right. Right. I think that, um, a couple of thoughts. First, 
for those people who overreact and yell and get into fights and then have to deal with the bullshit that comes to it, yeah. they've learned to do that based on their life experience. Mm. So they may have come from a family where violence was how they communicated or, you know, there's some situation at home that, that didn't nurture them toward, you know, more helpful and effective ways of handling situations. So even as a kid, these kids are taught, yeah. you know, there's certain ways to do things. And when you're like guided in a different way to make better choices, it's not like, it's not like people are bad people. It's that they've been taught how to do this. And this is what they've been shown. And they haven't been given an option to learn differently. And I think that even the people like that can absolutely learn this stuff. But the reality is, in my, in my view, that you're going to hit rock bottom. And, you know, things, yeah, things have to hurt really bad and suck really bad to be able to take that step. And I, you know, of course, I don't like seeing anybody suffer. Um, even if it's somebody who's not done, done right by me, I, I can't stand seeing people suffer. And, like, it's my natural, it's my need, it's, a, it's my purpose and meaning to try to help people feel relief in those moments. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is, is that people don't want to hear you say, you hit rock bottom, this is good. This is an opportunity. Where do you want to go from here? They want to say, I'm miserable, I want to die. I'm like, okay, but I'm saying that there's something good that can come out of this, and it's up to you to, to embrace that. And once you embrace that and you start acting toward you know, that better life, it's going to start showing up in your everyday life. It's not going to be 24-7. It might be one minute out of the day, but you're going to see there's some things you can do to not be miserable. And it may take a long time with a lot of, you know, try and fail and a lot of making mistakes that end up hurting and, and pain and, 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 you know, all this, losing jobs, all this stuff, losing relationships, ending. Like, this is part of the process of getting well. And, and, and struggle is an integral part of getting well. And the more we struggle while at the same time we're working as hard as we can to learn coping skills, to manage our perspective on situations that get us in trouble so we can understand what's going on. And it's a big thing for me too. It's like, let's have a perspective on the situation. We can make, make sense of it. We can make sense of it. We understand it. Or if we understand these things we can't make sense of, we know that. We can then choose how to react in a way that's less damaging and more beneficial to us. So the reality is, as far as I see it, that we have to go through this, that the struggle is crucial. You know, if we didn't go through the struggle, how would we know what it means to be happy and well? I mean, we have to go through it. It's very and true. I, 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 I embrace it. And, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm known in my community, my working community, and through all the people I know that I speak with, talk with, peers and friends from the punk scene and anybody, that I'm not a, I won't sugarcoat it. I'll say straight up, straight directly, you know. Yeah, it sucks. It hurts. They're going to suffer. And it's what you do with it. It's what you do with that. Because we still have a choice. Like today, for example, mm. I feel like crap today, Gary, and I just, I made a commitment that I was going to do this with you on the phone, and I pushed it up on uh, 45 minutes, and I said, I had a commitment, and I know that if I do this interview, I'm going to feel better, even though it's going to take me, like, everything, like, such a struggle for me to get into it. Mm. And as you notice, from the beginning of the phone call until now, 
I've now become very lively and energetic and becoming mm-hmm. much more comfortable. And I had to go through that because I knew I knew that would happen. I knew that it was I would feel better. And I had to go through that that struggle and that frustration and that hurt that I've been experiencing the past few days and to get to where I'm at now. So I'm actually going to have a much better day than I, I, I thought. And that's in part a result of accepting the situation and knowing that I have a choice. My choice is I can be miserable or I can take steps to feel better. And this is exactly what I did. Just, you know, just, my house right now is messy. Uh, it's a mess. Uh, I haven't taken a shower in a few days. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rough right now. But I knew that I could, I could, I knew I could pull myself up and out by, you know, fulfilling my responsibilities that I've made and allowing my brain to take the steps to transcend the struggle I was having and uh, to also be gentle to myself and know that I am struggling and it's okay. And that it doesn't make me a bad person and that there's things I can do to feel better. And I just have to do that. So that's what I'm doing. You know, I mean, I want to be this example for other people so they can see they don't have to struggle as much. And and, and I I, I really, I just really, really strongly believe that it's vital to have somebody saying this stuff and doing it without shame and embarrassment, even though I say things that, are humiliating about me because it's embarrassing stuff that has happened, has yeah. happened to me or things that I've done that I'm ashamed of. Yeah. I find that people respond and it makes a difference. And I, as I said earlier, as my tattoo says, I will not allow my suffering to be wasted. I'm not just going to be an angry person who's pissed off and frustrated and just miserable. I'm not going to do it. I did enough of that. And I've decided to, you know, take action and by taking that action, I've not only been benefiting myself, I've been benefiting other people. And for me, I mean, there's nothing, nothing better than that. I mean, I'm living a good life. And that concludes part three of our five-part interview with Craig. All of our episodes are available at variousthings.org. This interview is recorded on March 28, 2014. back to various things. This is part four of our five-part interview with Craig Lewis. Enjoy. I think there's also a level of trust that people have to have too. To, because to get into that process, if, if you've been kind of like in this situation where things haven't been good and you can kind of trust things to end badly, to get into a good position, you know, when you, when you realize that you have these decisions that you can make, you also kind of got to like pay attention to the good things that happen enough and remember them to kind of trust that, you know, good hap- things can happen from this. Because it's like when you're sitting here saying about, you know, if I, if I get into this interview, I'm going to feel better. You're trusting that, you know, and that's because probably you've noticed in the past that like when you overcome 
that initial block that you do. And so you're like, well, you know what? I don't see any like real reason realistically why I wouldn't. And so you kind of trust that that's going to work. And I kind of do this like, um, like I noticed like after I was able to overcome, um, my problems of violence, when something really bad would happen, like some kind of new struggle would appear, I would kind of get excited because I'd know like, yeah, this is going to suck, but I'm actually going to come out of this. Okay. And I'm actually going to come out of this richer and knowing something. And I'm actually going to come out of this a better person. So like yeah. I would, kind, of, you know, it's, it's kind of like, like a football game or something, you know, something like that. Like, you know, there's a lot of effort you're about to expend, but like when you get to a point where you have faith in yourself and you trust yourself like that and you trust that, like, you know what? I'm really going to question it. I might not make the best decisions, but I'm going to try my best and you can trust that yep. that's a good. Then like, you know, that like you can be comfortable that like you're your own pilot. Like you're going to see yourself through this the best you can. And if you can't, you'll never do the same thing again because you'll learn from it. When I'm talking to someone that has had these bad experiences, the biggest barrier seems to be in getting them to trust that it will be okay if you do this. And if it's not okay, you'll learn from it. I haven't found any way to easily get across that, you know, and maybe it's something that you can't get across. Maybe it's someone, something that like, as you were saying about the struggle that has to be built personally with each person as they try these coping skills, as they begin to see themselves come through this, they start to build that trust for themselves that, you know what, right. I'll do this. It'll be okay. I'll feel better. So what was it with you that, um, like, where did you get the idea to do the coping skills workbook? Like, it's a wonderful story. Um, when I was going to this, program for adults with mental illness to learn how to be counselors. The program was called the Consumer Provider Program. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to do a 300-hour internship as part of the program. So I ended up getting an internship at a local uh, Boston area rehabilitation center for people with mental health and addictions and trauma. And I, I, uh, I was required by my school to, you know, quote-unquote, leave something behind once I'm gone. Okay. And like do something that was gonna, you know, be a lasting, you know, something that would last there after I finished my internship. And I had the idea, without, you know, having any knowledge of what I was doing, that I would start a support group, and wrote a little proposal. We organized it. People came. Um, supervisor sat in with me, and I ended up being really good at it. And I didn't know that I'd be good at it, but I was. And uh, I and then my supervisor said, "You have this under control. I don't need to come in with you anymore." And throughout the uh, months of the internship, I I uh, I did the group every week, and then I left there and stopped doing it. And then I ended up uh, at another program that I had that I worked at, and I gave the group there every week. And then that job ended, and I I started volunteering at a peer-run center, or for people with lived experience, both people who attended and people who worked there all identified openly like I do. Mm -hmm. And um, I started giving the group there. And uh, at some point I stopped giving the group because I was too busy with work. And it was only like a year and a half, two years after I stopped giving the group that I kind of looked around my stuff and I realized that this stuff's already written. 
I just had to put it into book form. So I met with an artist and a, a, a editor and put it all into book form. And that's how the book came to be. I didn't know what I was doing. I was not trained. I had no idea that what I was doing was going to make such a big impact. I um, basically, I don't know if you've seen the workbook, but yeah, um, I I write about stuff that I go through, like from very personal experiences, and then I have some questions to, that I would like to have been asked to help me learn how to transcend those issues, those yeah. struggles, and uh, that's what the whole workbook is. I actually have twenty done for the next volume already. And I ha- I'm halfway with working with a colleague. We're halfway through um, finishing a uh, and publishing a, a group a support group facilitators guide. So anybody with lived experience, you know, whether they're a certified specialist or not, anybody can do it. Including like college students who get together at a cafe on a Sunday and do three pages for just self exploration and introspective exercises. So I mean, anybody can use it. We're developing this facilitators guide to make it the most efficacious curriculum at, that it can be so as many people as possible uh, can benefit from it. You know, I've, I found, like, being involved in punk rock that um, something, you know, it's that ethic that we can just go ahead and make that right. thing. Just do it. Yeah, absolutely. I Coming from the punk scene, being mm-hmm. a punk rocker is, is like, one of the main reasons why I'm successful at all this stuff, because who in their, uh, it's funny that I say this, but who in their right mind would decide they're going to travel all across the country, mm-hmm. uh, a mental health worker, to go speak about mental health and really not know anybody, you know, not know who's going to help you get around, not know the city, not know the organizers, and set up for all these people and trust them that they're going to do what they say they're going to do, and then go and do it and like, have it work out. That is like a page book out of DIY punk rock. Yeah. And I love it because most people would say, that's a ridiculous idea. I'm not going to just travel across the country and do this. You know, I'm not, I'm not selling I'm getting paid lots of money and, you know, magazines are, are you know, lots of support on, on TV. It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm still very, very low, low, I'm very low, low on the, on the, on the scale right now. And I'm trusting people to, you know, do what they say they're going to do. And, you know, many people in my position who don't know about the punk scene have not been through it, don't think they would do what I did. I think they see it's a pretty <laughs> outrageous idea. And yet, coming with the punk scene, it's a great idea, and people support it. It's uh, remarkable. And, you know, no, there's no doubt about it that punk rock mental health workers are unique and different than other workers because, for many reasons, for one, you'll appreciate this when I say it, I think we are not shocked by the fucked up things that we see. That's and true. We just embrace those situations and say, all right, where do we go from here? A lot of mental health providers, a lot of workers who see some fucked up stuff are like, Oh, I'm really blown away by it. And we're like, okay, this happened. Now let's move forward. Mm-hmm. And, that like lack of shock that I experience when other people might be really blown away is is directly from my experience in the punk scene. And well, there's a lack of stigma. Beneficial. There's a lack of yeah. stigmatizing that I think punk kids just we we just don't do it to other people because we 
I, I really don't know the reason why. I mean, I think I like to say it's because we're more accepting, but I mean, I've seen punk kids argue about the most inane shit, so I don't think it's that. But it, it, there's something about it. I, I was talking to a family member and asking if if uh, they had considered therapy or something like this, and um, to them, it, w- it was like crossing a line, like go to a therapist. Like that's, that's what people with mental health issues, do. <laughs> you know, there was a stigma that they were fighting against. And to me, it was just like, it, 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 it was as absurd to me as refusing to fix your car because of the stigma that might be attached to the class position of someone that knew how to do it. You know what I mean? It was just ridiculous. It was just like, well, here's your problem, and don't you want to fix it? Well, yeah, but, you know. One thing I wanted to say is that, well, two things. Firstly, anybody who has a mental health issue is in, is in some way an outcast, even yeah. if they don't acknowledge it or as a result of it or as a result of not addressing it, is out of control and she's tyrannical or whatever they do, these politicians who are clearly not well. I mean, everyone's an outcast from it in some way, just really how we deal with it. Um, and some people have power over other people in our society, which, of course, they shouldn't, but then people decide things a little bit people, and then it's, we live in a tough world, and, and, and it's, hard to, it's hard to escape um, or get, get past what people are saying are, is wrong with you. And our society really gangs up on us about, this is what's wrong with you, and it's like, they say you have bipolar disorder, you have schizophrenia, everyone looks at you differently. And, and with that said, yes, the punk scene's a, a wonderful place where people like us can be and and have our issues and still be a part of something. And in addition to that, I think I, I, I sense that you know this, um, that you didn't necessarily say it. In addition to that, our community does does nurture this this destructive behavior, does uh, validate that it's okay to be out of control mm-hmm. and to be reckless and dangerous, and in a lot of ways really um, gets in the way of the discussion of talking about mental health. Yeah. And people are often very much shamed and, and discouraged from getting help. They're said, yeah. let's go have a, I'll take you out for a drink. I mean, you don't know how many times I see online. So it's like, I want to die. I hate myself. I'll take you out for a drink. Or you shouldn't feel that way. Like, you shouldn't. How can you tell someone what they shouldn't, they should or shouldn't feel? So we have a lot of problems as far as Whereas we're uh, a safe haven because it's dysfunctional. We're still dysfunctional. Even yeah. though we find each other and we're dysfunctional together, we're still struggling. I mean, how many friends have I lost to suicide? How many friends have I lost to ODing? How many yeah. people do I know that have had reckless deaths or live in a squalor or have suffered for no reason or gone to jail for foolish reasons? You know, it's it's it's... It's, it's really an epidemic. I mean, it's happening all over the place every day. And I feel like we need to have this conversation so that have this dialogue so people can hear, it's okay to be a punk rocker. And you can be a punk rocker and do all this stuff and not live a shitty life. And that concludes part four of our five-part interview with Craig. All of our episodes are available at variousthings.org. This interview was recorded on March 28, 2014.
Welcome back to Various Things. This is part five of our five-part interview with Craig Lewis. Enjoy. Punk rock has come almost kind of like the ground zero for dealing with these kinds of um, topics because this really is... I mean, it's not where all people that feel alienated go, but generally the people who end up here, 100% of them are alienated. And and, there's, and it, like you said, it's going to be for a variety of, of reasons, but to have that discourse needs to be okay. And I think it, I think the opposition comes because, I mean, and I've noticed this even in, with, with the group I work with, with doing radical mental health, we get a lot of questions because there's some people that are like, oh, I hate the whole psychiatry, like I hate formal psychiatry, I hate formal psychology, like they'll say stuff like that and they'll be like, we're against drugs, we're against, you know, drugs for people with, uh, you know, ADHD or um, people for with bipolar. And so depending on their personal um, positions, we'll run into some groups and individuals that think that there is no place for these formal things or formal therapy or any of that within um, the discourse of like radical mental health. And our approach has always been like, try to take stock of how destructive the system can be, the mental health system, but also realize that there are things in it that if applied properly can be of great benefit. Like if you have schizophrenia, therapy itself is probably not gonna work. You might need a drug. And I mean, that's on a personal basis for that to be evaluated. Simultaneously, if you have bipolar and you can manage it through um, things that you do with your life, you might be the type that doesn't need a drug. And it it, it really comes down to like a personal thing and and a trust. And I, I think the thing that makes it harder for people when they're kind of evaluating these things is getting a good doctor that they can trust that isn't going to yeah. take advantage of them. That isn't going to manipulate them. So when they have those options, um, they can evaluate them thoroughly, you know, because for every person I know that has a good doctor, they had eight or nine before it that were horrible. We, we are, we are often very beaten down and pushed away from help and, as you just stated, there's very good reasons why that's happening. It makes a lot of sense. And in addition to that, in the punk scene and activist circles, a major problem that I see Mm -hmm. is that people place their own personal values Mm -hmm. on what other people should do to deal with the mental health. You know, if it was getting a broken arm, it'd all be in agreement. Well, you need to get it set and put in the cast. And if it was, you know, you know, uh, whatever, you know, uh, whatever issue, this is what you do. This is what we do in society. But in the punk and activist circles, someone has this issue and people say, don't take meds. Don't do that. Don't do, well, how, how are you an expert on me? And because you have your own beliefs, that's fine. I'll respect that. And in addition to that, why don't you help me get the best information possible to make the best decision mm-hmm. instead of just, canceling out half or three quarters of the options that, yes, I may choose not to do, but don't put all this added social pressure on me because of what you believe is right for you on someone else and then have them suffer, continue to suffer, 
and continue to be unhappy because you believe you have this platform to speak from that you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that because of the pharmaceutical industry or whatever. Yes, of course, we know pharmaceutical industry makes millions of dollars and billions of dollars off these medications, and we know that they're in it for the money, and we know that there are many psychiatrists who are in the back pocket and do things that are, are unethical and hurt people and put them on meds and all this crap. We know this. And also, in addition to knowing all that, some people benefit. And we need to, well, I should not say we, but I believe what will be most beneficial is that we help people make the best decisions possible with the information available, not yeah. just condemn them to suffer. And I, it, it's one of my, it, you know, I go around the country and I speak and I tell these stories because it's so absolutely vital. I mean, people are dying. They're mi- in miserable lives. They're yeah. unsatisfied and unhappy. And a lot of this, yes, is due to the system and what's been done to them by the society and the bad interaction with the system. Mm-hmm. At the same time, let's help people make the best decision possible and remove our value judgment from that process. And once we, I believe, stop putting our values in other people and say, I want to help you make the best decision based on what you believe, what you think is right, what's good for you, that person is going to feel empowered. Yeah. They're going to know all about what's available to them, and they can make a decision on their own steam, on their own experience, based on their own knowledge. And I believe people in that situation will actually experience, experience improvements because they're in control. They're making the decisions. They don't have to deal with other people's bullshit. Well, you should do this and you should do that. Do what's right for you. Get the best information possible. I want to help facilitate that. I travel around the country and I send that message. You know, there's nothing wrong with you, okay? I don't care what they said your condition was. There's nothing wrong with you. There's really, the only thing that's wrong is with society. Mm -hmm. Society is is the one with the problem. We're just people who, for whatever reason, experience things more extreme and more intensive than other people. And I think that's something to be respected and honored. Mm. And instead, we are put down for it and criticized and stigmatized for it. And I think that if we could instead, if we could honor people's experiences and and encourage them to to uh, be empowered to help themselves in the way they think is best possible with the best possible information available and options available to them, those people are going to do well. I mean, they may still struggle, but they're going to do well. And those are the people we need, you know, to be able to spread this message far and wide so other people can do the same. And that's why I travel. That's why I do these Your Crazy books. And that's why I'm doing it, because I want people to know that there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. It's a, a matter of figuring out what works for you and making the best possible decisions so you can be happy and well. And that is what I'm all about. I'm not pro-med. I'm not anti-med. I'm, like, pro-wellness, happiness, and stability. Make the best choices you can with the best information you have, and that's going to result in if not feeling a whole lot better, it's going to result in feeling you have control over the situation, and that's going to help you feel better. You know, and I think it's also important to remember where psychology and psychiatry as a formal science are, too, because these are things that, because of the stigma involved in them, for the most of human society, have been something that much attention hasn't been put into actually coming up with like good treatment it's been put into for a long time just kind of segregating these populations from the main population and when you start actually having people trying to work on drugs and stuff i mean at this point 
the human mind is so complex that psychiatry, psychology, or psych- psychiatry, it's it's almost like something of a pseudoscience in that it doesn't have the the right controls of a, a proper scientific. Uh, like if you're dealing with something like the physical body, the mind is so much more, the brain is so much more complex that, you know, you might like, let's say for um, depression, there's like 10 different pills you could take, let's say, and maybe only one of them is going to work for you. They haven't really got to the point where they know why those other nine didn't work for your particular brain. And right. so like I feel, sorry. Yeah, crapshoot. Yeah. And so like, I definitely feel for folks that like decide, like, I definitely want to take something and they have to go through those other ones to get to the right one. But um, yeah, go ahead. May I say that I believe that medication is like 20% of being well and the rest of that is coping skills. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. Totally. Because it, it, it's like training wheels, essentially. I mean, most of these drugs were designed to kind of be like training wheels. I think that applies to probably any medication at this point. That right. To interrupt you. Sorry. Oh, that go ahead. If we allow the medication to be a foundation and we work our ass off on our coping skills, mm-hmm. well, I'm not there yet either. I still take some medication, but like it, I'm, I'm medication is very reduced. I'm not sure if some of the struggles I've had recently are a result of that or just life being difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly it happens that People take medication, it helps them stabilize, and at some point their coping skills are so well-developed that they don't need medication. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's important that we all recognize that that can happen. Oh, yeah. They may be happening more in the future as people, as we move toward more uh, education as far as coping skills. And that, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, I work, in a, I work in an office and we hear about people who are psychotic and all this stuff. I'm like, well, what's really psychosis? You know, is it... What's really mental illness? I mean, these words are just so so vague, and you know, I said, what if these people are just reacting to how fucked up the world is, and they see things that we don't all see? I mean, I see them, and what yeah. if, what if that makes us sick, like because of what we see as being so fucked up? I mean, you know, the whole question of are we mentally ill or is the world mentally ill, and we just react? <laughs> I mean. I'm not, you know, and I won't have these conversations with anybody, including psychiatrists. And, you know, you know what, when you have this conversation, um, so some people, they respect it, even though they may not fully agree. And I believe it's very important, again, having this conversation with you, it's going to be a podcast. We, I think people benefit from hearing this stuff. And I'm, I never want to tell someone what to do. I want them to feel empowered to do what's right for them. However, without having the information with which to become empowered and the knowledge that they can do what's right for them, even if someone else said no or they can't, without disseminating that information, people wouldn't have it. So I, I, what you're doing here is you're, you're giving a platform and an opportunity for people to hear this information and look, they will make their own decisions. Some people might say, well, that guy's you know wrong or he's right, or I got something out of it, but I don't agree completely, whatever. It doesn't matter. And if people hate it, that's fine, too, because I believe that if they're hearing that something got well and they did some things that worked for them, that, that person might not be ready to do it. They may they may, they may push back because it, it, it's an, it's, it is a tolerant thing for them to hear that somebody got well when they're still hurting. But the point is that by hearing someone say it, well, they may, they may push it far away. The seed is planted within them that this can actually happen. 
So if they come to the point, which I hope they all will, where they hit rock bottom and they have to choose between whatever and taking the steps forward, they may say at that point, well, I heard about that guy who did this, and, you know, it seems completely ridiculous that it'll happen for me, but I know it happened, and maybe it'll happen for me if I start taking steps forward. And if that person starts taking steps forward, they may actually experience some relief and some empowerment, some control over their life, and who knows where that will take them. However, I believe it's going to take them somewhere good, or I hope that it will. You working as a person in this, uh, you said earlier that you're putting yourself out there, you're putting your story out there. That's got to take an amazing amount of courage because you're essentially saying to these people, people that you really don't know, um, these things. I'm that, telling them my most deep personal secrets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's – and your aim in that is what? I'm healing, man. I I get better by talking about it, and I – I find that my vulnerability is my strength and that when I can say to people, I don't regret that this happened to me. It made me me and I'm okay with me. I like me and you know, I'm, I wouldn't change a thing. And by telling, by sharing my story, I'm, I'm saying things that are embarrassing and that I'm ashamed of that are humiliating and I don't care because I recognize it. I see the value in what I'm doing for myself as being healing. No one can use this stuff against me. I've, you know, I've neutralized the, the, the world around me to, to embrace what I'm doing as, as, uh, as, as uh, something that's good for the world. And I've been able to turn this horrendous life into inspiration and yeah. hope. And I go and I meet these people many of whom have never heard that this can happen and then they benefit as well. So I'm healing myself by talking about it and other people are benefiting as well. I mean, and I get to travel. I mean, it's a win-win situation. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm meeting tons of great people. Yes, it's exhausting. Yes, it's draining and hard to do, of course. Yet I do it and I I, I feel great about it. And it's, I'm I'm honestly having having the time of my life traveling and doing this work and, I'm going to continue to do it so I can't do it anymore, which hopefully won't be for a very long time. Well, it's amazing because I, I see on uh, Facebook all your uh, your dates that you're doing and all this stuff, and I'm like, man, he is really out there doing this, and, and you're really, really putting yourself out there. I think the important thing to remember in this is that you are a human being, and like you said, this, is your, this isn't stuff that you're proud of, but it's stuff that like you accept as part of who you are, and that's part of that's the most important thing I think of like getting to be good with yourself is accepting when you've done stuff that you're not so happy about, but, but realizing where you're going with it. Sorry. I'm good with myself for the most part and being vulnerable is a strength. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. I'm glad to have, you know, that that's an amazing thing to put your kind of fear behind you and do that so I'm, I'm glad you're doing that and um, and I think it makes the world a much better place for people doing that and that concludes part 5 of our 5 part interview with Craig I had a wonderful time speaking with him and I hope you can appreciate his story thanks for listening all of our interviews are available at variousthings.org this interview is recorded on March 28th 2014